make sure history never forgets the name. Sci-fi melody. Got out. Don't go chasing waterfalls. Gonna please stick to the rivers and the lakes that you used to. Sci-Fi Malady, Symptom 254, X-Files, Beyond the Sea, the one with Brad Dorif. What else can you ask for? What else indeed? Good day. <laughs> Welcome back, sickies, to the next episode of X-Files, or The Truth is Out There, August. And what were you about to say, Thomas? No, that was me. I was about to say, good God, that's a long title. <laughs> Yeah, but but Brad Dorif, what else can you ask for? I mean, really, Sickies, before we get into this episode, if you don't know who Brad Dorif is, let me throw out a reference for you that, that is kind of the first trivia, and Scott will get this one. Brad Dorif plays a serial killer on death row in, the, in, um, in this episode, but he also played a similar role in three episodes of Star Trek Voyager as crewman Lon Suter, a sociopathic serial killer who had joined a rebel group called the... What's the name of the rebel group, Scott? He was with the Maquis. The Maquis to channel his desire to kill. He's also and part Betazoid, or he was all Betazoid. Yeah, and when Voyager gets trapped in the Delta Quadrant, the character ends up killing another crew member for what reason? You know, I don't remember that reason. Boy, That's because there is no reason. Okay, good. Right. There was no reason. He just decided he <laughs> wanted to kill. He's just a sociopath. Yep. He just wanted to kill. I know so he gets rehabilitated by Tuvok. Okay, because according to the reference I have, he's confined to the brig, and then an ethical debate about giving him the death penalty on a Federation ship is talked about among the senior officers. That Sounds is about true. right. And then when Seska and the Kazon take over the ship, they don't realize he's there, and he escapes and hides in the Jeffries tube. And uh, helps the doctor take the ship back. By killing. <laughs> if you're wondering how else you know, might know him, he also happened to be the scientist in Alien Resurrection. If you don't remember that film, or you blocked it out, or you've never seen it, good for you. Um, he also happens to be a pyromaniac in a movie called Pyromania. He was Peter DeVries in one of the Dune adaptations. See, it's just... Oh, wasn't he... Wait, he was a doctor in Dune, wasn't he? No, 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 no. He was, he was the Mentat. Oh, you're yeah, he was Dean the Mentat. Stockwell was the doctor. Yeah, yeah, no, you're sure right. He was the Mentat, that's right. Yep. He's actually been around in a lot of things, so... But I know what everybody's really thinking. When you guys can get to what we really know him from? <laughs> uh, what do we really know him from? Yeah. No, Dude. tell me, I don't remember. Dude, you don't know the thing that he's the most famous for? Uh -oh. I'm sure I do, I just can't remember. He's the voice of Chucky in all the original Child's Play. Oh, that's right. He is. See, everybody. Give me the power, I beg of thee. Close your eyes at certain points, especially when he's getting really mad at Scully in, the, in one of his last scenes where he's saying, nobody gets a message until I get my deal. You can hear it. 
You'd look at him, you'd never, you'd never think that he was the voice of Chucky. Actually, you would. <laughs> Especially if you see his performance in this episode. Um, but I gotta, Sickies, the point is, he pops up in everything, and he's, he's kind of an unsung hero of Hollywood. So he's just phenomenal and Very good actor. He is, you know, again, not trying. I did a bit of trivia ahead of the schedule. I hear I'm going to do a pick. He's a pick in this episode. Oh, beyond. Absolutely. Doubt. He is one of the strongest parts of this, this episode. Um, in fact, I might as well just get on with it. This episode is episode 13 of, of series uh, season one. And in this episode, episode uh scully's father dies after a christmas party except scully sees him before she gets the phone call that he's dead she sees him sitting in a chair and he's mouthing something which turns out to be the lord's prayer and she just decides she has to get to work okay her father was a naval captain and is buried at sea and she just needs to get to work, so she goes to Mulder, and Mulder points out that two kids were kidnapped in uh, South Carolina. And Mulder says, well, there's this guy, um, Luther Lee Boggs, who s- says he knows how to find him. The problem is, Mulder, despite believing in all the X-Files, says, this guy's lying. I know he's lying. So Mulder and Scully go to the prison where he is just to hear him out, and Mulder baits him with a cloth and says, here, use your psychic powers and find out where these kids are. The guy gives a, you know, he gives a speech, Boggs does, and Mulder says, that's taken from my t-shirt. It has nothing to do with the case. In an interesting swap in this film, in this episode, Scully is the one who believes him. And Mulder does not. Mulder believes in psychic, but not this one. And Scully believes him because he calls her Starbuck, which is what her dad called her. And odds are no one else would have known. Much like he knew the details of a bracelet of one of the kidnaps, a previous kidnapped victim. So throughout the whole episode, Scully winds up hunting down clues that this guy gives her. He is channeling different people he killed because he is a serial killer. And he's channeling the people that he's killed and she's following the clues and it's leading them somewhere. And the whole time Scully believes Mulder does not. And at one point in trying to get capture the killer, he gets shot. And from the hospital bed is telling Scully, don't believe him, don't believe him, don't believe him. But she keeps pursuing. And in the end, they do save both the kids and the killer dies. And Scully survives in part because of a warning this killer gives her. Now, in the end, the Boggs wanted, he was going on death row. And he wanted a stay of execution because he said at the moment of his execution, he felt the pain of all of his victims and he doesn't want to do it again she doesn't get him what he wants and he winds up going to the gas chamber and dying but it ends with again scully saying that on her official report that she didn't believe 
but she starts to. And it's one of the more interesting episodes, not just because of the acting, but because of the role reversal and some questions that we're going to raise here today. But before I go on, let's just blitz through the trivia, and I want to get to the, the questions here, because I think last week's format went pretty well. And I'd like to do that again. So, uh, one of the trivia, this is one of Jillian Anderson's favorite episodes. You know, it was mostly about her, but it was a very good episode that incidentally almost didn't happen because the studio thought this was too much like Silence of the Lambs. And they didn't want a copycat. Which I I have trouble with that because today that's all they want to do is copycat. You know? Different it's like oh th- different times though, and they won't call it times. copycatting, they'll call it um remaking. It's, right, right, right. But they wouldn't do that back then. It was like, oh gee, we already did this. Well, you had different writers mean, who wanted to do their own original thing and actually be have it be original. They cared about having originality. Right. Nope, that's right. I mean, considering Scully was heavily influenced by Clarice from Lord, um, Silence of the Lambs, I don't see why this wouldn't have some influence. Um, what's his name? Brad Dourif. Darif, whatever, who played Boggs, was too expensive because he was the most high-profile actor they'd ever talked, uh, tried to recruit. And the studio wouldn't spring the money. So Chris Carter rang Fox President Peter Roth at his home on Thanksgiving to beg him to hire him on Thanksgiving. Roth agreed just to shut him up and get back to dinner. <laughs> okay. Turned out to be one of the better decisions. Um, this is one of the first ep- this is the first episode where Mulder addresses Scully as Dana. I was going to ask if Be- that was true because I'm watching it and I'm like, I don't think he's ever called her Dana. No, that was the first episode out of empathy. And it shows that uh, he's kind of becoming more empathetic to her at the time. They were getting a uh, bigger connection. Uh, the killer in this that they were pursuing was called Lucas Henry, and it came off the name of the real serial killer, Henry Lee Lucas. So, um, let's see. Wait, wait, wait. Is Henry Lee Lucas the guy that confessed to, like, 200 murders and they don't think he did any of them at this I, point? He was honest, just trying to get time out of jail? I'm pretty sure that's who that is. I don't know. Check it out. That's more of a thing probably for, for Rock on Cold Case Chase. Yeah, you know what, maybe... I'm pretty sure Henry Lee Lucas confessed, just started confessing to murders because it got him privileges in the prison, and he was just like, um... Yeah, he confessed to over 600 murders to the Texas Rangers. Oh. But they think he didn't do any of them except maybe the first one or two. Okay. Well... And Ruck, which is which is even now. Hi, my name is Matt Ruckstar, and you're listening to a mini episode of Cold Case Chase. Or I guess this would technically be case closed, wouldn't it? Hmm. Let's get into it. Henry Lee Lucas, also known as the Confession Killer, 
was a necrophilic serial killer who claimed responsibility for over 3,000 murders. However, they can only confirm that he was three kills deep, with eight disputed and, like I said, 3,000 claimed. I hope this helps next time you're out on the night. Even more amazing for this because we're talking about a guy who is claiming to have knowledge of a murder and a crime that maybe he doesn't. So it's even a, mm-hmm. even a better substitution. Um, you know, you're flipping it around. He's well, yeah. committing the murder, but the other guy um, is the murderer. But he's the, the one claiming to have knowledge of this crime. And they're saying, Ben Mulder's like, no, he really doesn't. It's an inside job. I don't know. I just like the time. Well, what they think, well, yeah, what Mulder thinks is that he set it up so that he can make a plea bargain and avoid the death penalty. Um, and the killer himself is doing this on the anniversary of the death of his, was it his girlfriend and mother of a car accident? Family members during an, a car accident. And so, and apparently they had worked together in the past, so... Oh, also, the director of this episode is none other than David Lynch. Wow. I would not have... I believe so. I believe so. Let me double check that. I would not have made this for his style. Um, yeah. Let's... Let me just make sure, because I could be, um... Let me just make sure of that, so... Nope, never mind. It's not. Okay. Liar. Never mind. Yeah. Liar! I have failed. Okay, edit that whole part out, Ruck. Uh, But anyway. I have failed. Yeah, in (laughs) fact, just get rid of the part. Get rid of the part. Yeah, do that. (laughs) Um, So. mm, Okay. So. Edit all that out, Ruck. So. Uh, you and Shane can tackle that particular killer, Henry Lee Lucas. If unless, and if you're not going to do that, just chime in with some fun facts mid episode. That'll be fun. <laughs> and, and now, mid melody, a cold case chase break. And now for a mid melody, Cole Lucas. Okay. But let's, before we get into rips and picks, let's get into the central questions I have for this episode. And the first question is, um, is this guy really psychic or is Sully seeing what she wants to see? Sully? Because the pilot it, who landed the plane in I'm the I'm sorry, River? Scully. Scully. <laughs> yes, that one too. Scully. Because... This reminds me kind of of a faith healing, you know, where you have someone that believes they're healed because they really want to believe. And they will swear to you up, right, down, left and center that their knee is that their bum knee was healed by Benny Hinn. When you could do an x-ray and it finds out, no, the cartilage is still missing. But they don't feel the pain because they really want to believe and all the pieces fit well enough together. And is that what this is? Or is this guy really psychic? What do you guys think? Who wants to go first? Thomas, you want to start? Care care not. Um this 
this episode kind of left it up in the air kind of vague but it does give points where he does seem to be acting obviously hey this handkerchief is not from the crime hmm interesting but then there's other times right well i was about to get to that there's other times where he's talking about getting hit and seeing things which he shouldn't be able to know now because his buddy, if this is his accomplice, he was on the run and he ran to a different location and now he's hitting him and they're hitting him actually. And wait a minute. So, and then you also have a bridge that's about to fall. So there's a lot of things that make it seem at least in this episode that he is psychic. I think that what's going on here is, I don't want to say the John Edwards cold reading effect, but I think there's part of it where um, he's a very good actor. He's telling Scully what she wants to hear, and she, he's been able to get information about her to use to try to go after her to make her believe. Um, I think the episode tips its hand. I was very, very conflicted about this until the very, very end as to whether or not he's really psychic or if he is um, playing Scully and she's seeing what she wants to see. But he knows who Mulder's partner is. It's available information. You can go get it. He knows that Mulder's partner is Scully. He's trying to get back at Mulder. What better way to get back at Mulder than to have him lose his partner while he himself is severely wounded, even if he doesn't die, knows that he loses his partner um, in, in part of this revenge. And Mulder blames himself because he spent all this time convincing his partner of this crazy X-Files stuff and she finally buys in. All he has to do, the plan gets changed when he finds out that Scully's father has died. And that makes it where he now knows he can channel the father. But all he needed to do was get information. Get information about Dana Scully. And as she says at the end, the song that was played at their wedding, he could have figured that out from someone. He knew that was her partner. He could have done some research, could have had some people ask questions around, talk to people who knew her parents, etc., etc. But where I think the episode tips its hand is when he says... Don't you follow him to the devil, Scully. You let me take care of that. Because I think his real goal here, more than anything else, is to have someone there on his side that he's built a connection with at his execution. He doesn't want to look outside that door and see nobody other than the cops. He doesn't want to look outside and see only his dead family members. He wants one person there who might be thankful and even grateful to him for providing something. So I think in a, in a clear sociopathic, charismatic way, he got the piece of information that Scully has lost her father. He knows some of the nicknames, some of the stuff. He's been able to dig it up by having accomplices on the outside, get this information, knowing who Mulder's partner is. And he's used all this information to manipulate her to believe what he's selling 
because she wants, he knows it's a story that she will want to believe. And she would want to get one last message from her father. And the way this whole thing works out, you know, he even tells Mulder, don't you go to the White Cross because you'll die. And, and he can play that off as, see, I even saved Mulder. And, I, and I'm helping you out, Dana. Just do this one thing for me. Show up at my execution so that I have someone there who might have some empathy, feeling, and emotion for me so that I can know I did one thing to redeem myself as I face my death. That's what I think happened here. I think a very smart, charismatic sociopath worked with someone who he's worked with before to engineer a crime that he could solve, and if it doesn't get him a stay of execution, at bare minimum, it will get him someone on his side when the gas comes in so he doesn't die truly alone. Well, that's a good point, but I guess the, my concern there is that's a lot of dots to put together. Um, first of all, he has to set up the crime knowing Mulder would come out. That part's um, not so it, hard. You know, it, it, but hang on now. It reminds me of Joker's plan from Dark Knight. No superpowers, but highly psychic as to what will happen, when it'll happen, how it'll help happen, and he can connect all the dots beforehand. Um, so he knows Mulder's going to come after him because he will. And he predicts where he, he deliberately sets up where this person will be. He deliberately sets up, okay, well, you'll go here, then make sure you shoot him near this white cross, then make sure you do that. He knew Scully's father died. He knew he called her Starbuck. There's... It's not impossible for him to know all of this, but it is so unbelievably improbable. Because if he's been in jail, how does he know Mulder and Scully are working together? The same people he's got connected on the outside to go do. But know. who? That's the problem. There's lots you, of people you, in you are right. who have outside you, connections. Sure, sure. But you're basing it off of the crux of, well, there must be someone. That's it. Well, the episode tells you he committed his last five murders with the help of uh, Lee Henry Lucas. Uh, right. But the problem is does lucas even know who they are it, it just just way too many <laughs> it works until you start seeing how many links in the chain you have to forge and then it turns into an epoch times level conspiracy where if this person does this and then this, and they know this, and they get person to do this, and this, and this, and then they know this, and then this just happens to coincide with this. Oh, and this just happened to be fortuitous in their favor. Oh, and this happened. Oh, and this happened. And then they know this, and then they say that. It'll all work out. Well, to me, the, Wait, only, I, the only real coincidence uh, to me is that he is the timing of the death of Scully's father. The rest of this stuff, if he's staging a crime with Lucas, then he can tell him, commit the crime on this day. I'll get Mulder in on this day, keep them here for two days, I'm going to tell them at this time on this day where to find you, not before, you know, so know to be in this position on this day, 
I'm going to oh, lead Mulder yeah. a certain way and go to the fallback right. place. But that, that's all. That's the evil I, stuff. I, I, I to say, it, 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 this episode leaves it kind of a little bit vague because it exactly. really does leave it both ways. You can exactly. absolutely see that it, he is psychic or he's not psychic. It doesn't really answer it one way or the other because it kind of leaves it, well, it could go this way or it could go this way. Now, I think it's a little bit up to interpretation and we could be sitting here for, I'm not even kidding you, probably days arguing over this because it did it so well that it left it in this very, very, very vague spot where you couldn't really tell one way or the other. And that's a point I'm trying to get at because, because like this, the scene with the waterfall, not waterfall. Well, now the other, how does he know she's going to see that and the statue of the angel? Now, the other point being, apparently, you've decided to actually read the Epoch Times that I subscribed you to. Oh, yeah, all the time. <laughs> That's still the best prank you've ever played, Thomas. Uh, all right, let me admit something here. I agree with both of you. The episodes left it vague. I just decided that after both of you, that after Thomas took the one side, that it was my job to take the other side. Because uh, honestly, I'm 50-50 on either of it. I'm undecided on, on what this is. So. Uh, I decided, uh, break down the, what is this, the fifth wall? I decided this was my time to just argue the other side for the hell of it. All right, well, and that's fine. That's what you do. But I think that is an example of a masterstroke writing. That you're left with a, huh? And not in a, now, let me say this and before someone jumps in and gets attacks me. How I could not tolerate the end of, um, what's that movie, uh, Inception, because the top didn't fall, or maybe it did. It gave us a Schrodinger's cat kind of ending. I hated that because the whole crux of the film, aside from overly complex and complicated nonsense, was that he was doing this to, you know, wake up. And then it teased us. It's like, so in other words, the whole point of this hyper-complex, complicated nonsense was, meh, I don't know. Yeah, whereas yeah. this, whereas this, they did achieve what they wanted to. They found the killer and saved the kids. Whether the method was really psychic or not, you be the judge. Again, I- it was Lovecraftian nature. We didn't have to know we don't have to know where the monster came from. We just have to keep it closed and locked up so it doesn't kill us all. There's a subtlety to this, and, and what makes this better is the episode knows from the start what it wants to do, and it feels like from the start it's asking you, it's, it's posing this question that you asked from the start. Whereas in Inception, that feels tacked on at the end as a one more, ooh, what level of reality are we on? Did they? Yeah. Where in this one, it's building the whole time and letting you make your choice. And I, I don't know for sure, but my guess is if you ask Chris Carter, he'd say, shrug his shoulders and go, hmm. Yeah, pro- probably. You're yeah. probably right about that. His success is that no one can definitively say, is he psychic here or not? Well, and that's one of the bad things about the film is the film started giving definitive, um, concrete, boring answers to a show that was always kind of giving you just enough to, as last week's episode pointed out, 
because the evidence isn't conclusive enough. So all the evidence to the contrary is not entirely dissuasive. That's one of my favorite statements. Right. And so and that's the case here that it's continuing that trend of there's just enough evidence to tell you that he's psychic. But then again, there's just enough to tell you he's not. So all the evidence to the contrary is inconclusive. So um I think it continues that vein very well. So th- those are the, the two big questions. Does Scully believe because she wants to? And that bled into the next question. Was he really psychic? Um, and Scully believes she doesn't want to admit it, but she believes. Um, whether that's because of her father or what have you, but she definitely wants to believe. In this case. If Scully's father doesn't die at the start of the episode, she's not going to be brought around. No, no. I think that's important. I mean, she sees him in the chair, and she even picks up the X-File labeled, you know, uh, what was it? Sights of lost loved ones or proof of the afterlife, that kind of thing. She, now granted, she doesn't look at the file. She quickly shelves it away, but... Yeah, you're right, Scott. If it hadn't been for that, this would have been... Odds are they, the kids would have died. Because well, Mulder wasn't convinced and neither would have Scully been. Well, he was know, a, uh, Scully's, Scully's rationalism and her skepticism comes through at the end. Um, well, I say skepticism, but by that I mean skepticism of the supernatural and her rationalism um, comes through at the end when she... At, at two points, she says, we have no option anyway, Mulder. We have to play, and we have to deal, because if we don't, the kids are going to be dead in three days, and this is our only chance. So whether we believe him or not, we have to make the deal and, and, and play along. And that is, that is the very rational, cold, logical side of a scientist coming, coming out and saying, the other option is failure. This option is probably a bunch of hooey, but it's the only thing we got to try. So we got nothing to lose by not trying it. And then at the end, she tells Mulder, um, you didn't want to hear your dad's last message. And she says, I already knew it. And he says, how? He's my father. And I believe that most of us pretty much would know what our parents' last message to us would be, you know, if we really thought about it, you know. In this case, he's going to tell her, I'm proud of you, Dana. You didn't take the career path I wanted for you, but you've turned out to be an amazing, strong, professional woman. You're doing good in the world, and I'm proud of you for the conviction that you had. That, that's going to be the message, and she knows that, so she doesn't need to hear it from a medium. Okay, so with the questions out of the way, let's get into the rips and picks. First of all, I'm sure there aren't many, but are there any rips? I have no rips on this episode. I really don't. Neither do I. Neither do I. Thomas? Kind of hard to find a rip at all, really. Yeah. So let's get to some picks. Actually, I have oh, one. The- I have one. I, okay. I have to hold okay. here. I have to hold serve. Okay. You wait for dramatic effect to tell us three quarters of the way through the episode that the police believe that his last 
five outside murders were with Lee Henry Lucas as his accomplice. There are missing kids. And this guy says he knows where they are. And he can tell you where they are. And you're certain he's working with someone on the outside. You wouldn't have waited until the victim, after recovered, pointed him out in a photograph to say, oh yeah, here's this information you need to know, Agents Mulder and Scully. You'd have been on that from the start because that could be useful information to help solve this. That would not have been withheld and not brought up until after the victim identified him from a photo. You'd have been on that immediately, especially when you suspected his last five murders were orchestrated with this guy and you're looking for who his accomplice on the outside is. Come on. That's I guess another... You held that for I dramatic guess a, effect. I guess another rip would be Data walking into that old warehouse alone. It's like, no, an agent wouldn't be that stupid because you're just begging to be hurt. I gotta ask a question for a pick, and I meant to ask this in trivia. Is this mm-hmm. the first time we get the spooky Mulder reference? Because I haven't picked it up in the first 11 episodes that I've watched. Spooky this is Mulder 13. reference? He's, his what do you nickname mean? is Spooky. When he tells uh, her that's, that's something that the girl would know. expect from Spooky Mulder. That, that, I don't know. They do bring it up. I believe it was in the plot. Where they do bring up his nickname. Um. Yeah, maybe. I don't. I don't know. Honestly, I just thought it was a word they get. He used. Oh, there is a bit of trivia that I forgot that, that turned into a pick. The scene where he's reading a paper and Scully walks in and says, "Oh, I thought you'd be perusing the adult ads." <laughs> and considering he was on Red Shoe Diaries, it's like heh 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 <laughs> Re- reference. That is a nice, um, under the, you know, under the radar comment before the age of Google. Well, yeah. And for those of you, uh, sickies that don't know, Red Shoe Diaries was an adult program on one of those film channels, not HBO, but one of the other ones. Skinamax. Yeah, no, Cinemax, but, and, um, it was, he didn't. It was just him reading letters and adult ads, and then they would show you the adult content. Didn't so, they both start their career in that type of... He was in Twin Peaks before that. Okay. David Duchovny was in Twin Peaks before that. But then he landed in that. So it was just a nice little <laughs> reference pick. Uh, what other picks we got? Again, knowing and we've already said Brad Dorof who's acting as just stellar. I love that they let Scully take the lead in this episode and you get to see more of her and uh, her acting in that scene when after Mulder gets shot and she comes in and tells him it won't stop me from personally throwing the switch on your gas chamber. That was something you haven't seen out of her so much yet. And I loved that they let that scene go and let her show that ability of her, her acting skills. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, Thomas? Boy, Scott took my mind. Thanks, Scott. <laughs> um, action thief. Well, I mean, it's not just that, but it, 
I, I think my pick might be that they, in a way, switched roles here. Not completely. Oh, very much so. Not very completely, because so. again, at the end, she does kind of come back to her scientific mindset. But for a bit, just for a bit, she is the one believing. You're right about the ending, too, because Mulder from his sickbed even says, why don't you believe? So they do kind of go back to their original positions. And Mulder makes it clear from the get-go that he believes in psychic phenomena, just not from this guy. Yeah, he just believes that this guy's a bunch of hooey. Right. And so, no, that is an interesting how they did the role reversal just long enough. Um, I, I would say my pick, which we've talked about at length, is the way it's written that is he psychic? Is he not? This isn't really, and the way this isn't really an X-File, is it? Because it's about a serial killer and looking for kidnapped kids. And it's kind of like blending, well, what would you happen if X-Files was going after, you know, a um, conventional crime, as it were. And this is how it would probably play out. That you know, there's because I'd have to imagine an FBI agent looking for, say, uh, a kidnapped victim would, and then running into a quote-unquote psychic. Well, one of those agents would buy it, even if it was just for ten seconds, because you really want to find the kidnapped victim, and you're grasping at straws at that point where you know you're on a deadline. And, well, desperation might set in. And you might be willing to entertain something that you normally wouldn't just because I want to save this kid. And you would come back around at the end and be like, oh, I don't know what I was thinking. But, and, and that's where my point goes with Scully. Is this guy psychic or she just believe it because she wants to? If there's a time to just believe it, it, it would be with an emotionally vulnerable Agent Scully. At a moment where she's on a hyper deadline yep. to save someone's life. That's where you're most open to these type of things that would be contrary to your baseline beliefs. I also must correct myself. It was only David Duchovny who started his career uh, reading the adult ads. Oh, Okay. Well, not so, started his career, but at some point did that. For some reason, I thought I remember yes. people saying they both took that path no. to acting. No. Nope. Oh, you were mistaken. Yep. Any other picks before we go ahead and rate this thing? I I'm going to say, overall, it might be similar, but it's not a copy of uh, Silence of the Lambs. It's not. No, it's not a carbon copy, no. I mean, it, it, it gives its own twist, and it's a good feeling. I mean, it is a good episode that allows these characters to play well. I mean, and you did bring it up in the trivia here. This does begin the much more impassioned... I, no, I don't know, impassioned is a good one, but a uh, much better working relationship between Dana and uh, Molder. I mean, because you start to, they actually start moving, for, I think moving forwards, much better 
team-wise, and it does seem to be a linchpin here. Well, and you know, as far as the, it's it's not a copycat, I'd also like to point out how in, what is it, 1986, I want to say, um, somewhere in the 80s, he was actually, uh, Ted Bundy was uh, a consultant in finding and catching the Green River Killer because the Green River Killer was a serial killer and they were talking to him about what would you do? And Ted Bundy was saying, well, if I were him, I would go do this and I would drop the body there. And, and through his help, they were able to track this guy down. So it's, you know, it's not exactly as if Silence of the Lambs can claim any kind of complete originality. Um, this was a concept that had already been established by anyone who keep, kept their eyes on true crime before that was a thing. So, um, and I mean, and Ted Bundy, uh, he killed at least 36 people that we know of, perhaps more. So I think with that in mind, we can get down to, um, how many, how many personalities do we give this? Because, uh, Brad Doris character had different personalities competing in him. And that's how he had a psychic ability. How many personalities do we want to rate this episode? I'll give it, I'll give it nine and a half, nine and a half out of 10. It's a very good episode of television. Um, it's, it's well-written. It's smart. It's paced. Well, you do not get bored during it. Um, and it allows you to make up your own mind without being ham-fisted about it. Um, and it leaves things open-ended. And it's an, it's an amazing way, if you were you know, teaching kids a, uh, a writing class or a film class in college, a, a way to go about letting the viewer make up their own mind and leaving things open-ended and not giving people the answers in a way that is fulfilling. Um, it loses a half a point because... It is derivative in certain areas, um, but it's the, you know, good derivative to harken back to one of our skits. Um, but you lose a little bit of that. It can't be a 10 so much if it's got an element of that to it. And I'm still not certain that I like, I like Scully's flip here. I don't know. I think I take a half point away because Mulder... Molder of all people being so adamantly opposed to the fact that there's any possibility of this, to me, has him written in a way that's a little gumbified, and it doesn't ring genuine to the character, at least from what I've seen up until this point. So, if I was watching it live time on episode 13, based off of what I saw, it would be jarring to me in some way. To see Fox Mulder so adamantly looking for the conventional answer and not even willing to consider that there's um, extreme possibilities potentially at play. So for that, I'll take a half point away. I could probably justify taking more away, but it's it's such a good episode that I'm going to minimize the damage done to it. Okay, Scott or uh, Thomas. <laughs> um. Uh, man, this is kind of tricky. 
I I think I'm going to go also with nine heal. I I'm uh, no no actually I'm going to give it ten. The derivative does not really subtract for me. Um, so I I can't. Now again, yes, it is somewhat derivative. Yes, you can kind of, but I don't think it's that bad. Um, so I don't know if I can say, ooh, it's like, eh, it's okay. Good. I'm fine with it. Okay. I'm going to give it a uh, 10. The issues like, hey, a cop wouldn't do it that way or an FBI agent wouldn't go in there like that. Um, I'm able to ignore those because the acting is stellar. The the whole is he, isn't he is a discussion and the good guys win at the end. But it always raises that question. And this is this ranks as always one of the top episodes of any X-Files list. And it's for a good reason. We have uh, I'm again, I'm very pleased with this episode. And I think that this is probably going to be one of our favorite months of sci-fi malady ever. Because I don't think we've rated anything under an eight so far. No, we needed a month like this, man. We needed a month like this where we're just watching good television. Yeah. Congratulations, Mark. You have slightly redeemed yourself. I'll take it. So, with that in mind, if you listen to this episode, Sickies, and you are definitely interested in things like serial killers and other true crime, or assuming Ruck actually gave us some information about Henry Lee Lucas and you want to hear more, you could go head over to our discord page for more information. And then on Spotify with Caseatorium to hear all the good stuff about cold case chase and case closed. And if you are interested in X-Files and the supernatural, there is the case that chills with Layla, who will hopefully one day be talking about a haunted elevator. And of course you can also check out Zodiac task force. One of the, best um well it's american anime and it's on raving lunatic media enough said and you could also check out our discord page where you can engage with us or anybody else in there a lot of good people you can also leave comments at our website at www.thesquidpeopleinthehaunted.com or ravinglunaticmedia.com or ravinglunaticmedia.com Rage Master. What's left for them to do? Stay sick, sickies. 